On today's episode of the Far Post Footy Podcast, I had the honor of interviewing my good friend Chris Kessel. Chris lives in Charleston, West Virginia. He's a coach, he's a father, he's a working man, and he's an advocate for change. He's an advocate for positive community involvement with soccer. He has done great things with little to no resources. He is an advocate for so many great things in this game. And if you're not following him already, I recommend you do so, and I'll put his contact info in the podcast description. Uh, Today we just talked about some things uh, that we feel are important, and most notably his conversion of a basketball court to a soccer cage in his community. And he's got way more plans to do more of this, and he's just got a great mind for the game. And I really hope you enjoy listening, and thanks as always for tuning in. Take care. Bye. Welcome to the Far Post Footy Podcast. My name is John Townsend, and today I have the honor of interviewing a good friend of mine, somebody who has been uh, with me in the trenches, whether it's with uh, previous organizations and movements, uh, promoting my work and articles, and actually really spreading some really good vibes throughout the soccer community in this country. Uh, My friend Chris Kessel. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today. Thanks for having me on, John. Absolutely. So the reason I'm having you on is... You are really active with promoting the idea of open access and better community involvement in American soccer. And you're really, really intriguing to me as a person and as a friend because you are serving and existing in an area, in a community in West Virginia that I would consider underserved from a variety of different reasons. And and a lot of this comes from uh, just – we talk about soccer in this country. We talk about suburbia. Capri Suns and Orange Slices and nice uniforms, great fields, coaches and volunteers, and and it's a really good image of what the American soccer experience should look like. But as I've grown up in the system and, and, and you have kids in the system and you've been indoctrinated into the system, we know that's not really the case for every community. So let's talk about where you're from, your introduction to the sport, and what you're currently um, doing right now with your own kids and your own kickarounds. I know you host a, a skills clinic and, and a kickaround each week. So let's just start with your introduction to the game. Well, um, I started playing soccer when I was six years old. I'm 41 now in a small town in West Virginia called St. Albans. And uh, I was just lucky enough that the Kanawha County Board of Education built a field beside the elementary school I went to. And St. Albans Youth Soccer sprung up, and I think that I was either there the very first year that it started or the second year. I can't, you know, I was a little kid. I don't remember exactly. It was a long time ago now. And I was just one of those guys in the early 80s in the United States that I never had a coach that actually had played the game before. Like, all the way through my youth soccer career, you know, through junior high, still playing, and even in high school. My high school coach had never played before. So every bit of the learning about soccer that I gained as a child was just organic. We played a lot. 
You know, practice involved basically there was a dad there, there was balls there, and uh, let's play soccer for an hour. And that's how we kind of learned how to play. And, um, you know, that was just my introduction to the game, how it went. And uh, as I got older, I had a younger brother, and um, he was three, four years behind me in school. So when I graduated from high school, they, the parents were like, Chris, you played. You know, you played in high school. You did all this. Why don't you coach these teams in the spring and do indoor and whatever? So I coached them some, and that's what got me started into coaching, actually, was coaching my younger brother, who was barely younger than me. And um, that's where it all started. So it sounds like access was the big thing for you, this field near your school. Talk about the importance of open access in the community. You know, that's it was 100%. I mean, like, if if that field wouldn't have existed, I would have never played. I mean, you know, we were, you know, we were from a lower middle class, you know, family. Like, you know, my mom worked at a bowling alley. My dad worked at uh, a lumber company, unloaded, tru- unloaded trucks, you know. So even if travel soccer as we know it existed now, we would have never had, you know, the access to do that. And, you know, so that's kind of the the lens that I view soccer through is like, okay, I look back at my childhood and say, what allowed me to play? What would have made it better for me as a child? You know, the, the kids that come up that have, you know, the advantage of having parents with money that can buy, you know, any kind of training that they want and whatever, you know, they have, like you said, the access to soccer and great training and coaching across the country is, you know, light years ahead of where it was 30, you know, 30 whatever years ago, you know, as a, a baseline level coach at the club level. So what I do now is, you know, I have kids, my oldest one's 10, I have eight year old twins, you know, and I've been coaching them for a while. And I just said, what would have helped, you know, 10 year old Chris? And I try to provide that for the community. So, like, I decided that, uh, you know, kids weren't getting the kids that would have been like me as a child or like my kids luckily have me and my brother's a coach and, you know, you know, we're involved as a family, as an entire family, you know, and my nephew plays and, you know, it's just all this. We're, you know, a soccer family. But I was like, what can I provide the kids in my community that were like me as a child to help get them better, and I was like, a free foot skills clinic every week would be something I can do to help kids. So, just I started a few years ago, and just every Wednesday evening at five thirty, I grab a piece of grass. At first, I just started out and grabbed a literally a piece of grass at a park. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have access to goals there or anything um, because there were other teams using the little pit, the couple little goals that were there. And so we just practice off to the side, and now I actually run a youth club, and um, so I have access to our field, which is at a city park. This city graciously donates the fields to us and lets us use them for free, so we're able to have the club really, really inexpensively. And we do the free skills clinics every Wednesday. They're open to anybody in the community, you know, so we have, like we just had one last night, and we had everything from five-year-olds to high school kids. We had about 40 kids there, 
and uh, about four or five other coaches donate their time, and we really just get after and try to help the kids every Wednesday all year. So this idea of free, that's really weird to talk about when we talk about the soccer community. And how do you, as a as coach, as a parent, as an ambassador for the game, actually sell the idea of free? Because I've always said free can be expensive. It can be time-consuming. It can be you know, energy-consuming. And it can be uh, really people think it's a ruse, really. And, and I really think that um, you, know, you have always – Struck, struck me as a guy who is not in it for anything but the betterment of the kids and the betterment of the game. So this idea of free, how important is that and is to you as, as a coach and as a parent? Well, the, you, you, talk, you, you touched on something right there that was like actually the hardest thing to overcome to build it was when I first started doing it, I only had about between five to ten kids that were showing up, and three of them were mine. You know, because parents were consistently going, well, how much does it cost? Well, it doesn't cost anything. Well, how are you going to make money off this? Well, I'm not trying to make money off this. Well, what's the catch? You know, soccer isn't free is basically what they always said. You know, the training from the other coaches costs X amount of dollars an hour, 25 75 whatever. And I was like, well, look, I'm not really in, in for that. I have a job. You know, I'm just trying to help these kids out. You know, and it just took a really long time to overcome that, you know, that hurdle. You know, it was a hurdle to overcome that because people, you know, were so used to everything having to cost, you know, what I felt like. I mean, I don't want to say it negatively, but I mean, I felt like some of these fees that are getting charged, I mean, $75 an hour is like, to me, like lawyer money, doctor money. I mean, that's a lot of money, you know, to do a one-on-one session. And if you got three kids, I mean, you're making $200 an hour. I mean, that's it just, I don't know, that, it just seemed like an, an awfully lot. And I just wanted to make sure that any parent that had a child that was interested in getting better was going to be able to do it, you know, and I just wanted to let them be the best that they could be, you know, because something I always talk about is, is like, you know, you want to enable people's dreams, especially kids. You don't want to crush them, you know. And if I'm out here telling people that, you know, I'm sorry, son, or I'm sorry, you know, young lady, you're not going to be able to be the best soccer player you can be because you don't have the money. I mean, I just felt like I needed to be the person that was going to enable everybody that I could help to be the best player they could they could be that they wanted to be. You know, so that's why it was very important for me to do it for free. Right, and I think this is like more of a human thing than a sporting thing, but denying opportunity and denying you know, access is a really big problem in our country across the spectrum. But I think when it comes down to soccer and it comes down to, you touched on a couple of things, the community involvement, your brother's involved, your friends are involved. It takes a village to really raise 
uh, and create a culture that fosters this idea that the game is free, the game is fun, the game is accessible. And I think so much of what we encounter as coaches and as writers and as voices in the game, it's it's about excluding, it's about putting up walls and keeping people out. And the only people are, who are letting we're letting in, they they pass our eye test. Can you talk about the the situation you were involved in a couple of years ago when you decided to convert a uh, I think a basketball court into a futsal or a soccer cage because I've been talking about this for years and I tweeted about it today and, and and the coaching education part took off but the the actual soccer cage um, that point didn't really uh, hasn't picked up yet but you actually did this you you lived this and you did it and you provided this setting for the kids and for for even anybody not just kids um, talk about that project and, and what that undertaking was like and how it's affected the community in a positive way. Uh, and, and, and any any obstacles that you encountered as well? Well, actually, you know, I'd never heard of a soccer cage, you know, until actually I was talking to you and you were explaining what one was. And I was like, man, this sounds amazing. Let me look at Google, you know, let me Google this and see what they are. You know, because in my mind, soccer is played on a grass field, you know. Soccer could be played in your yard or whatever. And you're like, no, no, it's, you know, it's on, a, it's on, you know, the equivalent of a basketball court. And I was like, okay, let me look this up. So I Googled it, and I was like, man, I have to find somewhere that I can do this because this looks perfect, you know. And so I went all through the community, and I just basically went to every basketball court in, within about 15 miles of my house. I mean, all up and down you know, all up and down the city here. And I found um, three or four locations that I was like, okay, these all look like they're feasible ones. And I started contacting people about, hey, what can I do to convert this basketball court, these basketball courts to futsal courts? And I always had to explain what futsal was. And then the one I found uh, a partner I mean, it's a uh, it's a uh, a really big playground beside an elementary school, and they had two basketball courts, and one was fully enclosed in a 12 foot tall fence. And I was like, this would be perfect. I met with them because the uh, the playground was a separate nonprofit organization from the school. The school just uses the playground, and they were really receptive because they were like, hey, the basketball courts are underutilized. There's two of them. And uh, it took a while and some, you know, talking and back and forth, you know, bureaucratic issues, just like anything, dealing with nonprofits and in the city and the board of education and this and that. And as soon as they gave me the go-ahead, I went out and raised some money and found some volunteers from the neighborhood, and we converted it. And we've played every Friday ever since, you know, when it you know, we, we just felt like, you know, not just me. I mean, it was the other people involved with that play every week. We call it Futsal Friday. And we, as soon as it gets warm out, we play outside and we play until it gets too cold. And then the city of Charleston actually is very supportive of all this. And they actually give us one of the community center's gyms for free all winter for us to keep it going. And, uh... We play all winter, too. We've been going for over for two years now. 
the anniversary, our two-year anniversary will be here in about a month. And uh, we played every Friday, and we get about 40 people from, you know, the city to come and play. It's about, you know, normally 25 or 30 kids and 10, 15 adults. And, you know, we just play pickup games. It's interage. It's kids and adults all all on the teams. And um, some of the kids are soccer players, you know, that play all the time. And some of them are kids I coach. And some of them are just people, kids playing on the playground going, what are you all doing over there? Well, we're playing soccer, man. Come over and play with us. And they just come and play, and, you know, it's awesome because now when I drive by the park when I'm not playing there, I'll see people out there, you know, if not every day, I see people all the time just out there playing pickup soccer. And that's something that, in my opinion, is sorely missing just in soccer culture, at least here. You just don't see pickup soccer until that court came about. Yeah, and I think you've provided or you've helped provide thousands of hours uh, that they wouldn't otherwise get playing on a surface that is accessible and it's different than the grass, proving that they don't need to be in a conventional area to go play. You've provided a community within the community that looks forward to a day where they can play and constant, constant reminders that this works everywhere. This can work in every community in this country it works around the world. And, and what's amazing to me is, you know, this is now the new culture. And it didn't take anything but some legwork and some bureaucratic negotiations. But really, it was putting words into action. And I would love to see this across the country. I've been talking about this for, for years. And I, I grew up lucky enough in San Jose, California to have some of this and then uh, over in the Netherlands and having some of this. And, and really, I, I saw the benefits it did for me, not just as a player, but socially as a as a kid. I was able to, to meet new people, become a little bit more resilient, have more fun, uh, frame the game in a different way other than getting a uniform on, getting in the in, in my mom's car and going to pray. It was like, no, the game's right on my front door. And I think that you know your kids and the, and the kids in your community are going to benefit from this greatly. So can you... Can you talk to us about how this has motivated you, this action of actually creating a futsal court, has motivated you to take uh, this court and, and what, what it represents and be a voice for the American game and other communities? Do you think this is something that people can replicate? Do you think this is something that you're going to continue to replicate maybe within your community or maybe the 30-mile radius? Yeah, actually, the plan – so the, the thing about that is is – that over the winter, you know, we were, I mean, the, the, the feedback and the response over this past winter, now that it's been going on, and just, you know, we've never really done any kind of marketing for the event, you know, for the Futsal Friday. We've just wanted it to grow organically. As people liked it, they told their friends. That's how we wanted it to grow, you know. And this winter, when we were inside, I mean, some days – you know, like I said, we're 40, 50, you know, 40, 50 people, and it's grown to the point where we have some of the local college players coming and playing with us, and we're lucky to have one of the best Division II programs in the country, the University of Charleston here. So, like, some of the players that come in have played, you know, in some of the best academies in the world. I mean, I'm talking, you know, the Manchester United's and the Sunderland's and, and they're in there playing and they're showing a style of how that they can play and the level that the kids are like, this is amazing, you know, and it's, and that's really helped jumpstart it 
from there. And I was talking to my brother, Charlie, and I was like, man, how can we make this, you know, happen everywhere? And he was like, well, Chris, the reason why everybody plays pickup basketball games all over the place is because there's a court in every neighborhood, you know? And I was like, you're exactly right. And I was like, okay, let's build two more this summer. And so we've already been having the discussions, and we're going to build two more in two different neighborhoods, and uh, one actually right near where me and Charlie grew up, I mean, because we still love where we grew up, even though we don't live there anymore, and and another one in another neighborhood in the opposite direction of where we are, and then hopefully next summer we're going to build two more. Our goal is to kind of build two courts, or to convert two courts every summer going forward, because a lot of people look at these projects and they go, man, I don't have you know, X amount of money, it costs us about $500 to convert a court. And that's it. You know, we just actually went to a um, fencing company and got really heavy gauge fence posts and had them cut them with the angle and weld them together for us and permanently installed them into the concrete. We just rented a jackhammer and a, uh, and a generator and some concrete pulled out the old pole, put in the new goals, painted new lines, boom, less than $500 to convert a court. It really just it takes a lot of want to. It doesn't take a lot of money. You know, it doesn't, it just takes a lot of want to. We had about 10 volunteers, you know, cleaned up all the grass and the cracks and sprayed down, you know, some weed killer, and we had a court, and we played the next day. See, I think that right there, what you just said encapsulates what people need to actually execute on. Because I've talked to people, I get emails all the time uh, when I write these articles and I write my blog posts about, well, well, how can I help? What can I do? And the the, the answer is really just do. Um, As a coach, sometimes players tell you, I know, coach. Well, I don't want you to know. I want you to do. It's an old coaching adage. And I think you have just illustrated what you can do, and and I consider where you live, and I I consider that college football country, but uh, you know, not really soccer country. So it's it am- it's amazing that this has become a reality. Now, do you foresee maybe a futsal league, or you know, maybe starting a couple, uh, you know, events that could be uh, maybe perennial things where you uh, can promote your message and also uh, maybe get more teams to kind of affiliate, or is this? more purely lodged in the, the free play, free access type of thing. Because I, I say league, and I don't, I don't really mean having clubs control these these courts. They're supposed to be, in my mind, right. city courts, open to everybody. No one gets to put their name on it. It's, it's for the people. Um, do, you, do you see this growing in, in that direction? And if it does, would you see that as a net positive or a net negative? Well, um, we actually, well, in my mind, I just want them to be the open access. But I, what I would like to see, best case scenario to me is, is other caring adults replicate the Futsal Friday model that we use, which is get together some adults, bring your kids, have those kids invite more kids. And I think that one of the things that's missing, um, that you get because I compare basketball to soccer all the time because when you go, you can take all the lessons you want, but if you're not in the gym playing against 
older kids and adults, you're never going to be that good. You might be good for your age, but you're never going to be what you can be. And one of the things that I want to happen is, is other adults to bring the kids so that you have this adults, teenagers, little kids playing together because a 10-year-old is going to learn different things playing against 15-year-olds and 25-year-olds and 40-year-olds than they will only playing against 10-year-olds or even 11- and 12-year-olds. And, you know, so I want this culture of pickup games to really grow, you know. So if there are leagues and all that stuff, I think that'll be a great byproduct of, you know, just the popularity of the sport growing and the popularity of, you know, this one narrow aspect, the futsal aspect of the sport growing. But, I mean, in my mind, just the growth of the pickup and the, and the, and the stuff that comes with it, the, the showboating, the being creative, the, the talking trash, dealing with people talking trash, people trying to make you look bad, you trying to make look, people look bad. I mean, that's what I want to see. I mean, I already see it. I mean, some of the kids out here, I mean, 10-year-old, 12-year-old kids, and you're 40, they try to give you the work. I mean, it's that simple, <laughs> you know. And that's what I want to see happen. And, I mean, and we, we prod it on. Like, you know, if I elastico a 10-year-old and nutmeg him, I don't let him forget about it the rest of the evening, you know. And that's what I want. And they try to do it back to me. And I think that that really is what I want to see out of it is this, you know, creative, competitive, you know, thing. You know, I don't really know what I want to call that thing, but this is this creative, competitive thing that will – just blossom into a bunch of great players no it's, it's it's the game i mean i grew up and it's the same thing you're describing i was just lucky enough and i was the only kid that spoke english and didn't speak fluent spanish and i learned to speak spanish through that experience i had to but uh one of the things that i think you're describing is competition and we're talking about competition organically sometimes we, we, we view soccer competition as league standings and stats and all that stuff but I've never seen kids so competitive or players so competitive of all ages, even 70-year-old guys out there kicking it with us who, when you say next goal wins or, you know, whatever, that's when people start to elevate their, their mentality. And, and even, their, even if they're not skilled, they're just, they elevate their game. And, they, and, and I've never seen a pickup situation where, uh, you know, kids are dejected afterwards. I mean, they might be embarrassed, but... They don't go home and be like, well, the league standings say this. They, every game, every new experience is a fresh experience. And I think that is so unique and so necessary for American soccer to ever uh, take the next step. And, and it starts really from the grassroots level, which is, you know, creating places where these people can go play. And, you know, I think you have demonstrated really eloquently how this can be done so easily. And I, I think the, the barrier, and I'll ask you what you think the barriers are, but I think the barriers are people just, they don't know what they don't know, so they they, they don't know where to start. Um, so could you give, uh, as we finish up here, could you give us some advice on how you would uh, instruct people or, or encourage people to uh, maybe start one of these on their own? You know, I think that uh, the one of the key aspects is just to, be cognizant of what exists in your neighborhood and in your city 
and what is underutilized. You know, because there's probably an underutilized tennis court or an underutilized basketball court that the city would be happy to have used, you know. And that's where you need to start is working with your, you know, your local government and saying, hey, I have this idea. We want to do this. You know, it's a group of us. It's not going to cost you anything. We're going to raise the money. We're going to pay for it. We're going to do all the work, and we're going to use it every week, you know, and they like that. What politician doesn't like, you know, the opportunity, if they help you make this happen, of the photo op? I mean, it's that simple. Or, you know, just finding underutilized space. I mean, it's going to take a lot of money to build a new place. But if you can convert, easily convert an underutilized court that already exists, it's going to happen really quickly everybody's going to be happy. And like I said, we did it for less than $500. I mean, this is not a big, you know, investment. If you and, you know, four more people to get together with $100 each, you can make a futsal court happen. Yeah, I think I think that's such a uh, – I mean, I, I struggled because I, I tried doing this uh, where I live, and um, the land that I wanted to use was actually in, in the process of being redeveloped for a – a park so now they're putting turf fields now which is great too i mean i'm not going to complain but at the time when i proposed that it, it was shot down only because they had city plans that they hadn't released to the public yet and i didn't know about but you know i'm motivated right. to go do this stuff um i've been talking about it for, for years and i used to do uh in, in high school i used to do uh 4v4 3v3 tournaments uh basically kick back hunger kick out hunger uh you know the the, the donation was uh you know money to pay the refs money to buy trophies for the winners and uh, is a food donation. So it was like 50 bucks to, to do the tournament and you had to donate 50 non-perishable food items or whatever. And they had to just take it to the local food pantry after the tournament. And that was awesome. But the problem is people uh, want to put a name on that and they want the club to be associated with that. And sometimes I just think the community needs to step forward and, and really involve themselves. And I think having these courts in any community could open the door for charitable work or outreach work. But more importantly than, than all of this is it's just creating a place for people to go enjoy and celebrate the game that we all love. Um, Chris, what what can uh, people do if they want to get a hold of you? Where can they find your work or your articles or, or you on, on Twitter? Uh, give us your handle and uh, let us know where people uh, can find you. My Twitter is the Chris Kessel. It's T-H-E-C-H-R-I-S-K-E-S-S-E-L-L. You can actually search for me on Facebook, Chris Kessel. You know, I'm, I'm really easy to find. And um, I'll gladly talk about this with anybody and, and help guide them through the process. I mean, I would love to see thousands of these courts pop up in every neighborhood all across the country. I mean, if, if I can foresee locations for six to ten of these in a community the size of Charleston, West Virginia, I can only imagine that there are locations for literally thousands of these all across the country and i would love to see it happen now are you involved at all in any um athletic clubs or something that people can maybe uh look into and uh maybe visit that website at all yeah we have um it's called chemical valley athletic club and um you can follow that on twitter at chem valley ac c-h-e-m valley ac and that's that's what we 
run our futsal Friday through. We also have like a kickball team and we do all kinds of stuff. It's just like, it's the group of people that, that do the futsal Friday. We just wanted to give ourselves a name and so that we could continue to do things and have fun together. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what we are is Chemical Valley AC, and we would love to have you give us a follow. Then you can, you know, we can get our Twitter count up and uh, and get any kind of information you need from there as well. Awesome. Well, I'll be sure to, to link all that stuff in this uh, podcast description. But, Chris, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Let's continue to do these talks. I think that um, what you're doing is wonderful. I think it's important for people to understand what you're doing and to, to really see – someone who tweets and, and who, who talks about the game on a digital f- platform, put stuff into action. And I think that I implore people listening to, you know, definitely continue the discussions online, but take some action in your own community. Look at your own community. How can you affect positive change? And go do it. Uh, as you've illustrated, it's not difficult. It just takes the effort, that initial hurdle. Just get over that. And, I mean, the worst people are going to say to you is no, which they've been telling us no in the, for this sport for years. So, I think mm-hmm. I think I think the time is now to to really uh, help encourage others to do the same. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today, and people, thank you so much for listening. All right, thank you.